0: about something. Last Wednesday night we talked about it. Tonight we're talking about it. Last Wednesday night we talked about, actually this is the third Wednesday, uh, on the first Wednesday we talked about this 70-week prophecy. And you, you get, uh, uh, if you get any kind of study books, if you've got Wearsby, you've got any kind of study Bibles and stuff, there's a lot of people that have different ideas and have different thoughts on things. And so that's why I always try my best to put the Scripture up there. I want you to have your Bibles with you. Uh, you attend a church that we preach out of the Bible every time we come into the pulpit. Every preacher is encouraged but is also told, you, if you're going to be a preacher, you're going to be preaching out of the Word of God. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, you need a Bible, ask. We'll get you one. But bring your Bibles with you. And some people say, Brother Steve, you always put it on the wall. And I do put it on the wall. And the most time I do that is so that you'll be able to see in these different references. And I don't have to wait for you to turn. And also, visitors sometimes, they may not have a Bible and it's for them. But you need a Bible. And the reason that you need a Bible is because you need a highlighter, you need a pencil, and you need a pen. And you need to mark all in that thing. I don't know that you look at it and you go, I'm not going to mark in the Bible. And you know it's this. Listen, when you mark that. One up, and you get that stuff learned, and buy another one, Amen. And uh, fill that one up. Take that one to give it to somebody else, right? Uh, even nowadays, you can buy them that's already highlighted for you, you know, and they got everything marked in there for you. But um, when you look at different commentaries and stuff, you get a lot of things. And here's here's the bad thing today is in church, and and I don't know if that thing is like real bassy or something like that, and maybe it is aimed this way or to me, but uh, I know I'm not that bassy. I'm more nasally, but. Uh, <clears throat> uh, one of the things I want to tell you is that the church today probably uses uh, Rabbi Google more than they do anybody, uh, and that's not good. Everything that you Google all the time in scriptures is not always going to be true. You've got to know that. If you ever remember that commercial about that you can't believe everything you see on the internet, you know, or read on the internet, you know, the guy, the bonjour and all that stuff, you know, you, you can't. Take all those things in. And you need to know who the people are and who the sources are that you're reading from and see if they're credible and if their walk with the Lord has been consistent also. But anyway, looking at this 70-week prophecy, you'll get all kinds of thoughts. You'll get all kinds of people. You get a lot of charismatic that try to over-spiritualize things. Uh, You get people today that want to try to take this prophecy and put the church in the middle of it. And we learned on the first week, two weeks ago, that this prophecy was not for us. And we're going to talk about it again, just real brief. It was not for us. It was for thy city and thy holy people, talking about Jerusalem and talking about the people of Israel, the children of Israel, amen, the Israelites. And so when you talk about the 70-week prophecy, it's really summed up in this statement right here. It's just a simple view. It's actually, it's like a snapshot that God has said he's given some times and dates concerning the prophecy of what? It's going to deal with God's salvation plan, the restoration of Jerusalem, and the great tribulation. And it's all right here. It's found in the book of Daniel but it also correlates and goes right along with the book of Revelation. And while we're reading Revelation on Sunday, I wanted to come and do the book of Daniel on this prophecy on Wednesday night so that you'll even be able to see even more. The, the things that Daniel talked about that was going to happen in this 70 weeks and in this last week of the 70 weeks is actually found in the first seal open, the second seal open, the third, and then the trumpets and then the vials. All of these things are found in there. But here's some of the things I want you to understand before we go. This so where we got to kind of deprogram our brains and understand calendars and stuff like that before we go. And the first part is this, is that when you're looking at our calendar today that we go by, American calendar, or Gregorian calendar, whatever you want to call it, and I think it was like Pope Gregory the 13th come up with this kind of stuff, and but anyway... We look at that time frame and we're looking at that zero right there and we understand B C and A D. Everybody in here kinda grasp a hold of that real easy. You know, that if you're looking at the B C years, you would understand that it's not headache powder. Okay, But it's actually talking about before Christ. And that's one of the reasons that the Hebrew do not go by this calendar because they don't believe that Jesus was the Christ. They're still looking for the Christ to come. And so what we do is when we talk about 500 BC, when we're leading up to that zero mark, the kind of mark that transitioned all of history, and it was an event that kind of just uh, changed time and everything and was real a real uh, uh, spectacular event at that zero mark, we know that it goes are at 3 BC, being the oldest, and then the next year would be 2, and then 1, and then go all the way up to 0, but then as we're looking at the AD, or the, uh, what is it, Anno uh, domini or something like that, that actually means this, it's translated, uh, the year of our Lord, talking about the birth of Jesus, that then it goes 1 AD, 2 AD, 3 AD, all the way up to where we are today, and that's how their calendar works, but the Hebrew calendar doesn't do that. The Hebrew calendar has no zero, but I put a zero in here for you to kind of see some things. And actually, my arrows right here on the far right are turned the wrong way. I didn't have time to switch them over. But they're actually all going forward. You're going from the year 3000, 3001, 2, 3, 4, 5, to even today. Today is, in our calendar, it's October the what? 2nd? and. 19. But according to the Hebrew calendar, it is the third of Tishrib, and it's actually the year uh, 5,780. And that's their calendar system. I know that stuff seems confusing, but we don't need to let that confuse us. And the reason I say that is, look, 2 plus 2 is what? Why? Why? Tell me why 2 plus 2 is 4, because that's the way it is. This is their calendar system, and we just need to go, instead of going, well, that just blows my mind, we should just go, that's just the way it is. It, that's the way they've recorded their history, the exact same way that we record our history. But if you want to understand what God is going to do, you're going to have to get, take your brain and go, all right, Lord, we've got to change these things. The Hebrew calendar does not go by what we go by as 300. We go by this. How many days are in a year? you're wrong. It's 365.2422. We have this odd, weird system of things where we have almost .25 a quarter left over. And then we take it and we stick that quarter in a pocket for a year and stick the quarter in a pocket until we get a whole other year. And then four years we have the leap year, right? They have 366 days in that year. And you go, look, the Hebrew people go, that's the dumbest thing in the world. You know, but what we're measuring it by is we're measuring our days by sun, okay? But they're not doing that. In the Hebrew calendar, they're measuring it by the moon, the lunar, and they're measuring their days by when the new moon or the paschal moon comes up. And you say, well, that just sounds crazy. That's the way God's Word said that they did it. Here's another thing. You read what? From left to right. Hebrew reads from right to left. Why? Why? Because that's the way it is. And that's what we have to understand. And, and listen, what's so hard for us sometimes is we go, that's dumb. That's just crazy. That's silly. Why do they do it that way? You don't understand that on the other side of the world, they're looking at you going, that's dumb. That's stupid. Why would you keep .2422 of a day in your pocket? You know, you know what they do? They don't have 365.25 days out of the year. They have 360 and you go, Brother Steve, there's more than 360 days in the year, so how do they justify that? Here's what they do instead of sticking a quarter in their pocket, they stick the remaining days of that year. If it's five, if it's all the way up to 11, they stick it in their pocket and make another month. Okay? Why do they do that? Thank you. Thank you. That is just the way it is. Two plus two will always be four. But if you miss this point in the beginning, you will never understand prophecy in the word of God. You'll miss it. So look at what the scripture says. The Bible says in verse number 24 of chapter 9 of Daniel, he said, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and thy holy city. He said, 70 weeks are determined. And you remember, we talked about that word right there, weeks. It's not weeks like we look at it, okay? We know the week to be what? Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, right? All right, we know that. But they understand it like this. The word there is shavut. You remember we talked about it? And it means a heptad. And you say, well, what is that? It is a series of something that is of sevens, okay? Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, that's seven. It starts back over. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That, it, it's a week, and a week is a heptad of weeks, of days. But Daniel's prophecy is 70 weeks determined upon Israel. It means this. It is 70 periods of years that are determined. And so if you look at that number, you have 70 automatically. Don't lose me. Please don't lose me. And you're going to multiply that times seven, and you're going to get 490 is the number that you'll get. Listen, not only in that, but let me show you how God has done these things, okay? And I know this may sound crazy to you, but God has put sevens, that heptad, together in such a way that it blows our mind of everything that happens 7 days right 7 and 749 did you know that on a musical scale that it is a b c d e f g then it goes a b c d e f g then it starts over a b c d e f g 7 it goes through, and if you write out music theory, you can write out A B C D E F G. That's all. You can't have a Z note. Now, you, some of y'all have sang in the key of Z before, <laughs> but you can't have a Z note. You can have sharps and flats of only those notes, okay? But you'll never get any other note on a guitar, on a keyboard, on any musical scale than A B C D E F. Well, looky there, G seven. Right? You can never change that. And just as that brings forth beautiful music. When you understand what God does with that perfect number in the Scriptures of seven, you'll understand that this prophecy is actually good because it's for Israel, but we can look at it and we can learn from it and we can know that the Lord is coming back soon. He says 490. And in your Bibles, do this because you are not Hebrew. Do this. On the side of your Bible right there where it says 70 weeks, over there in the margin, put the word heptad, H-E-P-T-A-D. And when you do that, right beside it, 490 years. That way you'll always know, you'll always go back and say, all right, I understand that. But look at what the Scripture says, and we're going to move quick through this. He said, it's upon thy holy people and upon thy holy city. It is not for the United States of America. It is not for Rome. It is not for the Gentiles. It is this prophecy is about how God is going to whip. Now, that we understand that word, don't we? God's going to whoop Israel. Because they were disobedient and God's going to whoop them and he's going to bring them back into shape because he loves them and he cares for them. But look at what it says. This is why. To finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. What actually is talking about, if we go on Sunday morning to Revelation, it is to unveil His Son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the true Messiah. Look at the next verse. He says, I want you to know and understand. He said, I want you to have wisdom. This was last Wednesday. And understanding that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem, all the way unto Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. It says, and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood. And unto the end of the war, desolations are determined, and he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. Look at that, one week. And in the midst of the week, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, the the, uh, burnt offerings. And it says, and for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate even unto the consummation, and that determined shall be poured out. Upon the desolate. Church, this is what I wanted to show you. Is that God said there are seven weeks that are determined first. In that one scripture right there, he said seven weeks. Seven weeks equals forty nine years. Now, you understand why, don't you? You understand why? Because it is seven of those heptads. It is seven. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It's seven of them, okay? Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and you count that up on your fingers and you don't have enough toes in order to get all that in there. But if you multiply seven times seven, you'll know that it's 49 years. God said he's going to do something. Look at what he says in that scripture. Uh, He says that seven weeks is the first part, but then he says three score and two weeks. Now, don't let that mess you up. That didn't mess you all up, did it? I mean, the 16th president of the United States said, you know, four score and seven years ago, our father's brought forth to this continent, a new nation, you know, because all these things, that didn't bother you, did it? No. Okay. This shouldn't bother us. It's talking about when it says three score and two weeks, he's talking about 62 weeks. So God says, this is the time determined. How many years are determined? Somebody say it. 400 and what? 90 years. He said, but it's going to be broken down and I'm going to break it down into three things. What does he break it down into? He said seven weeks will be one portion of it and 62 weeks will be the other portion of it and one week will be the next portion of it. Everybody with me? Seven week. he said 49 years will be the first portion and then 430 years are going to go by and something's going to happen and then one year I mean, uh, seven years are going to be left at the end and something's going to happen. And see, if you look at that scripture, he showed it to us right here, the week of the prophecy. This is what I wanted you to write down. If you've got that little notes right there with you and it looks like little arrows and stuff like that, write write it down. Look, you're not going to remember this stuff. You're not going to remember it. And you think, you know, I'm just going to list it. You're you're never going to remember it. You're going to be sitting there and you're going to go, what was it? You know, you need these notes. You need to write something down, you know, and put it in there because our brain just doesn't do that. But if you were to go all the way back to 539 B.C., you would understand this story. And let's lay it out real quick. I I hope that you understand when I don't go back and read the scriptures, especially when I'm talking about this, because I try to do like anybody remember Andy Griffith when he used to tell Romeo and Juliet you know what I mean? He, he told it in a better way, Brother Craig, that we could understand it. You know, when, when, when she said, Romeo, Romeo, wherefore out there? Romeo, and, and Andy Griffith said, you know, I'm right here. You know, that, you understand it better. And so hopefully you'll understand the story better if I can explain it to you. But the children of Israel were in sin. And as they were in sin, the Bible says the Babylonians came in and overtook them. And the Bible says that as the Babylonians came in and overtook them, there was a prophet in those days, and his name was Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, not the bullfrog, but Jeremiah the prophet was preaching, and he was telling them in Jeremiah chapter 6, he says, you people don't even blush anymore when it comes to sin. He said, you sin so much that it doesn't even bother you. And then all the priests get filled up a little bit and go, yeah, they do. Yeah, oh, amen, they all do. <clears throat> but then in chapter 23, he says, and you pastors are leading the sheep astray. And you're in it for filthy lucre and money and all of these things. And Jeremiah is telling them the word of God. And he says, and if you don't stop that, God's going to come in and he's going to send a evil army or evil kingdom to come in and do what? To overtake you. In order to do what, church? To chastise, to whip you so that you will what? You'll repent. What was the very first thing that God heard out of the children of Israel when they were in bondage to Egypt? He told Moses, I have heard the cries of my people. But it took 400 years for them to repent and start crying. They were in such sin that they didn't want to turn from that. And then when he let them out of Egypt, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, but when he let them out of Egypt, they still sinned the more. While they were eating manna and eating the fowls of the air, Psalm 77 says, while the food was yet in their mouth, they still sinned the more. Sound familiar? Everybody in here needs to say, oh, me, and not, you know, amen. All of a sudden... Babylonians come in and overtake them. Babylon grew so big that even the city of Babylon, which was the capital of Iraq, okay? All of this, it grew so big that their city was 15 miles by 15 miles, which was huge in their days. You know, Jeremiah prophesied, and he said these very words right here. He said, the children of Israel will be in bondage for 70 years. You know how many years the children of Israel are in bondage? 70 years. Why? It's just the way it is. It's what God said. God said Jeremiah, the words of Jeremiah, they would be in bondage. But Jeremiah prophesied about a man... About a king that was going to come in, and that God was going to stir the heart up of that king, even though he was pagan and an idol worshiper, God was going to stir the heart up of that king, was going to use him. You know what was happening? Anybody in here ever heard the story about a man by the name of Belshazzar, and you know, he went down to the temple and got the gold and silver vessels of the temple and was drinking out of them. Not only did he hate God and despise God, but he sent people down there to get the vessels so that he could get drunk out of them. I don't know about y'all. But that is just like, man, you're you're pushing it. You know what I'm saying? I sin, but I can do it here. (laughs) Right? Now, don't look at me all holy. You know what I'm talking about. You wouldn't do it here. I hope hope that you wouldn't. So the Bible says that... The Bible says uh, that... Belshazzar saw somebody, a man's hand, riding on the wall. And you know what it said? Mine, mine, tekel you Right? I translate it like this, "Meany, meanie, teckle you for sin, yeah. right? God was saying, you meany, meanie, you're for sin. When he wrote those words on the wall, listen, the Bible says that King Belshazzar had a Scooby-Doo thing happen to him. He said his knees started knocking together. Shaggy, raw, raw, you know, what are we going to do? He was terrified terrified and he sent for all of his people to translate what was written on the wall nobody but then all of a sudden said hey there there is a man of god here a man of the hebrews name is daniel he could do that and he come up there and he said oh yeah i could do this easy he said he, like me i'd share patty i'd tell patty these mathematical things and she's just going and i'm going why do you not get this anyway he goes yeah this is talking about that your kingdom is found weighed in the balances and you're found wanting, and that, king, your your kingdom's going to be taken away from you this very night. While he's talking and prophesying what was written on the wall, there was a king by the name of Cyrus that was bringing his troops in through the river, through the water system, up underneath the walls there of Babylon, and they came in. And you know who died that night? King Belshazzar. He died. And what happened? Cyrus came on the scene and when Cyrus came on the scene in 539 BC, you write this down. When he came on the scene, he told all people that were exiled to Babylon, if they were Jew, if they were Mongol, if they were wherever they were from, he told all of them, brother Craig, every exiled slave, you can return back home. He made a decree. It's actually still written, and they've got the cuneiform now. A cuneiform is a clay roll that they actually write it in. It is in the British uh, Museum now. I've been looking at all of it, even learning how to write that stuff. Not that we'll ever go back to that kind of writing. You know, we don't think so, but you know, we're already back at hieroglyphics already. There are kids out here that text emojis more than they text words, and that's just Egyptian hieroglyphics. You know, if you stop and think about it, they text pictures of things instead of words nowadays. And we got out of that years ago. Hey, listen, he said, "All of those who are exiled can go back." And you already said, "And all of you Israelites." Now, listen, this wasn't because Cyrus got saved or that he was a king of God. He was a pagan king, lost as a ball in high weeds. Everybody understand that statement, right? Huh? I don't know two plus two, but I got that one. Hey, and you know what he said? I want you to go back. You can return and you can build the temple to your God of heaven, is what he told them. It's written down, and it's actually written down in clay that hardened up as a stone. Church, he told them, go and do it. And so they went back, and they started rebuilding the temple. We talked about it last Wednesday. And then now here the timeline comes down to here. The Jews were arguing with the Samaritans. Remember, we talked about that last Wednesday, just a little bit, so we're going to go quick. They were arguing, and so the temple building stopped because they were arguing about it. Do you know what actually happened? Have you heard Andrew Johnson or any of these other preachers mention Mount Gershom? I think Andrew Johnson even preached a, a message just particularly about that and was talking about how that the Israelites worship at Mount Jerusalem, the temple, But the Samaritans worship at Jacob's well at Mount Gershom. Remember, we've talked about this before. Did you know that during this time period right here, whenever the Jews wouldn't let the Samaritans come in and let them rebuild the temple, that they took off and they went to Mount Gershom and they built their own division? All this stuff that we read in the Bible, and we go, man, that must have happened thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of, thousands of years ago. And like millions of years ago and all that stuff. No, 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 it wasn't that very long ago. And they built that temple to worship God from, and that separated the Jews. And now you understand when you get to the days of Jesus, why the Jews hated the Samaritans and the Samaritans hated the Jews. That's why, Brother Matt, that woman looked at Jesus at that well that day and said, what are you doing talking to me? Don't you have a mountain that you go worship in? We got a mountain over here we worship in. Listen, we divided and split our ways back around 500 B.C. Why are you talking to me? Right? Right? So we understand that, but because of another king by the name of Darius, not Darius Rucker. Somebody asked me that already. Maybe pagan is I don't know. Go ahead. Uh, that <laughs> I was thinking of a song. Anyway, Darius came in. He decreed and said, "You can go back to rebuilding it." He let them go back, and they because why the Samaritans went their way and the Jews went their way, but then the Bible says that the prophecy said that it would be the rebuilding of the wall and the streets. So, and listen, this is very, very important. 445 BC, you need to write that down. A guy by the name, a king of Persia, by the name of Artaxerxes told them, and actually his name was this, it was Artaxerxes Longamanus. <laughs> you know what it means? It was, that king Artaxerxes long-armed. Longamanus means long-armed, right? Uh, I guess mine would be short you know, short-armed. But he said, you can go back, Nehemiah, and you can rebuild the wall. And I want you to look right here in the middle. You see that time clock? That's when the clock starts ticking. That's when God says, bloop. That's when you're going to start counting these days. What days? 490 years that are determined upon Israel. That's the clock. And you say, Brother Steve, I I, I don't know about that. It is. And I'm going to show you in just a minute. Then all of a sudden you get over here to like 420 to 397 BC and you have something happen. You have the book of Ezra, you have the book of Nehemiah, but then you have the very last book of your Bible in the Old Testament. What's the last book? The book of Malachi. And that is that time period where God said from the starting of the rebuilding of the walls and the streets all the way to the book of Malachi, you know what he said? That's that one period of seven weeks. It was 49 years. You said, Brother Steve, it, what, we got to look at our times. Look, he says, know this and understand. Look with me. Get understanding from this, that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and build Jerusalem unto when the Messiah, the Prince, steps onto the scene. Okay? Do you understand that? He's, in our words today, if it was mine and I was speaking it in my language today, listen to this and get some wisdom. That the clock will start when the commandment or the decree to restore and build Jerusalem, not the temple, but to build the walls and the streets thereof at the bottom. See it? The streets shall be built again and the wall. Understand that from the beginning of that all the way to when Messiah, which is the one that's promised, will come, he said, first of all, it's going to be broken up. Seven weeks and then 62 weeks. And God says when the wall starts, click, and then the book of Malachi. Do you know what the book of Malachi says? Uh, who was it? Um, Brother, Brother Adam Jefferson preached this past Sunday night and mentioned the book of Malachi. Do you all remember that? It got real quiet and people got real antsy a little bit and they held onto their wallets and their pocketbooks because he was talking about tithing. Do you all remember that? You know, and I told him after church, I said, look, the tithing wasn't really even a part of the law. I said, 430 years before the word tithe was ever used in the Levitical law, Abraham paid tithe to Melchizedek. Before it was ever I said the law actually gave order to the tithe. It didn't create the tithe. So should you tithe, it was way before the law was ever given. It ain't under the law. It's under God's word. Amen. Amen. I I know you got a little tithe on there and you went, Oh, he's gonna talk about it again. But it's true. Listen, you remember what he said in the book of Malachi? He said, Where have we robbed you, God? And then God answers him in tithe and offering. You remember, you know, in the book of Malachi that God is constantly with this last prophet to the children of Israel. He's constantly, brother Scott, he's constantly going, you've lied to me. And they say, where have we lied to you, Lord? And he told them. You're not honoring your father. How are we not honoring our father and mother? And he told them, you are committing these sins. And how are we doing these things? And he tells them over and over. You know what it's like? It's like a sinful, rebellious child that's saying, what are you talking about? When did I do wrong? And then the father tells him, when did I do wrong? You're always thinking that I do wrong. And you know what Malachi said? You know what he told them, Brother David? He said, I'll tell you what, the book will be stopped and I'll seal it up. And I'll tell you, I'll take all of your blessings and I'll give them. To a Gentile. Hey, you ever, any of you got a brother and a sister or something like that? It's just more than one of you. All you, you know, kids that were like all by yourself, you don't get any of this, okay? You don't understand what we're talking about. If you had siblings, you're going to get with me on this right here. Your dad or your mom ever get on to you about some kind of toy because you didn't want to share it with them, and they come over there to you and go, I tell you what, you don't want to share? Well, just give it to your brother. Man, that was the worst thing you could do. Oh, you'd look at your brother and go, oh, I'm going to kill you. Man, you got my toy. You see, see all these people that are laughing and agreeing? They had brothers and they had sisters. They were not only children, okay? <laughs> they had more than one. And then that's what God says. It's fine. You keep, you keep being rebellious to me. And the offerings that you bring, you know what he says? He says, it's words only. Malachi, I told him, Brother David, it's words only in chapter 4. There's nothing there. He said, it's fine. You know what happened? God said, that's it. And he closed that canon of it. That's the first portion. That's the seven week part of it all. From when the wall started being rebuilt to when Malachi was written. That's where we got the first portion. So we got that. Everybody understand that? Just shake your head. Everybody else that you're just chilling out and all that stuff. We enjoyed you being here tonight. Okay. (laughs) You you just, you just relax and you just show up. That's fine. (laughs) Look, then all of a sudden something happens. When the book of Malachi was closed up, what happens? What happens over the next 400 years? I know what happens. God's quiet. God's silent for the next 400 years. Uh, Let me go back. God is quiet for these next 400 years and he doesn't speak. He doesn't tell them anything. You know what happens over these next 400 years? Because of history, I know. And I got a huge map that will roll across from this side to that side of this church tonight. And I didn't bring it out here because I didn't want to scare you. I already thought I would going to talk about tithing enough. You know what you know what started coming up Greece you ever heard of a guy by the name of Alexander the Great whenever Nehemiah was being closed and the temple was being rebuilt the Bible says what it says when it's going to happen it would happen look at the last it said the streets and the walls will be built look at those words even in troublous times troublous times you know what it means there was going to be problems for over 400 years what started happening, they started rising up. Do you remember Nebuchadnezzar's dream? He dreamed that this image had a head of gold and a breastplate of, of silver and then iron and clay and all that. And Daniel translated that too. Isn't that amazing? God's man said, I can tell you what that's all about too, buddy. He said, first of all, that gold head is the kingdom of Babylon. They think that they're great and they think they're everything and the best thing since sliced bread. But they're going to have their head cut off. He said, but that next group that comes in, they're the Medes and the Persians, and everything they do, they make a decree for it. If they're going to eat supper, they're going to say, I make a decree, we eat at 537. And if somebody else comes behind them the next year and is king, they say, I say, we make a decree, we eat at 538. They're always making laws. That's the United States of America. Anyway, uh, always making some kind of law because we think everybody's dumb. Anyway, then the next group that came in, you know what? It was around the loins. It was swift and it was fast. It's even portrayed as a leopard in the Bible. And you know what it is? It's... the the kingdom of Greece. Alexander the Great came in, if you study about him, he came in in such a conquering way in his young age where he was so swift and so great as a military strategist that he was conquering kingdom after kingdom, after kingdom, after kingdom. And then all of a sudden, what took over? Here comes that image of Rome. And Rome conquers this kingdom. Rome conquers this kingdom. and Before you know it, Rome is taking over the world. And then we lead all the way up to the days of Jesus. 400 years have passed and men have been conquering kingdoms. And kingdoms and Rome has showed its ugly head and it's big. It's big. And the Bible prophesied about all that church. This is what I'm trying to help you to understand. You need to move past Jesus loves me, this I know. You need to understand that this book, he prophesied about these things and they happened exactly to the time and to the days and to the kingdoms. He even had a dream about one being like a bear and one being like a bull and one being like a leopard. And he was talking about Babylon being like that great big bear that was just so big and never thought it could be overthrown or as a lion. All of those things. And then the one as a leopard being swift because of Greece. Listen, as fast As they came in, they dwindled out because Rome came in. And clay, they stuck to everything. They grabbed hold of all of this stuff. He prophesied about all this stuff that would happen. And when we sit in our history classes, we sit in world history, we see all of this stuff, and we're just told to look at it and go, well, it's just the way (coughs) things actually happen. It's not it. It's what God said was going to happen. And what I'm trying to get you to understand is, is if that's what God said was going to happen, and look at me, do we agree that it happened? If that happened, then don't you know that all this other stuff that he says is going to happen, what should we do? Brother Jimmy, we should go, it's going to happen. And people say, well, how? Why? Why do you think so? You just look at them and say, just the way it is. Why is it going to happen? Because God said it's going to happen just the way it is. It will, church. Listen, here's the thing I want you to see is that God was silent. And God said, all right, Israel, I'll take it away from you and I'll give it to another. And we find that in Malachi. You know what? You know what? People always talk about God being silent as though God was the one saying, I'm just not going to talk to you. That's not the image that you need to understand. When I say God was silent, you need to understand it like this: God gave His word; they rebelled against His word, and God said, "I'm not giving you any more word until you obey what I've already given you." You said, "Brother, say, where'd you come up with some kind of cockamamie story like that?" Well, first of all, Donald Labney. Yeah. Your father and your mother teach you those things. If you can't abide this small thing that I've given you, I'm not going to give you something else. The second person i learned it from is Jesus Christ. You know what he said? He said that there was a story of a rich man and a man by the name of Lazarus who laid outside his gate begging and was full of sores. The Bible says that the rich man died and was in hell and when he lifted up his eyes, being in torments in the flames, he saw Abraham and Lazarus afar off in his bosom and he was comforted. And he said, hey, send him over here and dip his water and tongue uh, uh, finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm tormenting this flame. And he said, no, there's a great gulf fixed between us. He said, so that those that are over there can't come here and those that are here can't go there. Man, I'm glad that when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, we won't go through that other side, amen. We won't won't be hit by the actual death. We'll be hit by the shadow of death, amen. I'd rather be hit by the shadow of an 18-wheeler than to be hit by the 18-wheeler itself, amen. But he says this. He said, oh, okay, well, please, Lazarus, I mean, please, Abraham, Send Lazarus back so he can tell my five brothers not to come to this horrible place. What did he say? He said, No. He said, No. He said, They have Moses and they have the prophets. And if they don't hear them, neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead. You know what he was saying? We're not giving them any more word until they abide by the word that's already been given. Let me tell you something. When people talk about that your book is too narrow, that your Bible is too simple, and that the way is too straight and that Jesus is the way, you tell them that this is the only record of truth that we've got, and God's not giving you something else just to satisfy you want something new. You're going to have to get into the old scripture and dig it out, and you've got to know that Jesus Christ is the absolute only way. You repent of your sins and you come to Him. He's not going to give you any more and he's not going to say, oh, you can't say, God, give me a big sign and do something greater and do something big. Listen, what's more bigger, I guess if that's the word, what's more greater than him bringing his son to this earth through a virgin? What's greater than him not taking your life but giving his own life, amen? What's greater than sealing him up in a tomb and boom, he comes out of there, amen? Wake up, right? What's greater than that? Nothing. Listen, 400 years passed by. That seven week, 49 years all the way to Malachi, and then the clock is ticking. He says what? He says it will start there, and it will go all the way till Messiah comes on the scene. You know, I don't know if y'all like this or not, but I like it when he says until the appearing of Messiah, the prince, or until Messiah comes on the scene, until he goes, here I am. Until he does like Romeo and go, I'm right here, or I'm right here. Huh? Listen, the Bible says, then all of a sudden, after 400 years, church, oh my goodness, 400 years, what happened? Boom a significant event that changed the whole world. It actually changes the way that you view time. You know what happened? The birth of Jesus Christ. It actually changed the way that we view our years. It actually puts a zero as though it starts over on the counter, right? How how many of you got a car with about 60,000 or 100,000 miles? Wouldn't you like to get... Anybody in here have a vehicle? Y'all, y'all afraid to raise your hand or y'all just got new cars? Man, you know what I mean? Let me say it like it's more than 60 or 100,000. Now we're cooking with gas, right? How many of you got less than that? Look, these are the people that are not tithing. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Patty's rolled to 66,000, and the air went out today. It's like, ah, pay the last note on it, and boom, the air goes out, right? <laughs> it's the way it's always going to be. You know what? Wouldn't you love to go out to your car and hide, crank that thing up, and it goes, and just goes to zero? Huh? That'd be great. Yeah, it may not look like it's at zero mileage. You know, that, that one that's got 300,000 on it, it might, but it goes to zero. You know, you, you don't need to do that. But um, that's what happened. The birth of Jesus Christ changed the way in this Gregorian Ca- that we look. Because why? For years it was B.C. before Christ came. But when Christ came, it can't be before Christ anymore. No, it's got to be. He's here. And that's where we get the word Anno Domini or Domina. It means the year of our Lord and his birth. It changed everything, church. Listen, God said, it's just like the parable. He said, I sent you prophets. I sent myself, the Father. I sent you prophets. I sent you speakers and preachers and all of these things. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't observe my words. But he said, what? I'll send my son. In this year, God sends his son, church, and it's a significant event. But then look at the next thing that happens in time. About 29 AD, Jesus Actually steps out from birth all the way up. The only thing that we know about Jesus is what? 12 years old. What do we know about him being 12 years old? We found him in the temple. Why did we find him in the temple? Because his mom and dad left him. Think about it. You, I mean, you think about this for a moment. 22, days is a mile, is a day, 22 miles is a day's journey back then. And they get a day's journey away. Joseph goes, where's Jesus? Mary goes, What? I thought you had him. No, I didn't have him. He's not my son. <laughs> right? No. How did you lose the son of God? And they go back. It's, I mean, I know that part's not in there, but they're looking for him and they go back and find him in the temple and the doctors, the religious leaders are just staring at him and could not understand his knowledge of the word. And you know what? The only scripture that records about his youth, Brother Reggie, 12 years old, it says that he waxed stronger and stronger in the spirit of God. And then we don't see him again until what happens? John chapter number 1, the Bible says there's this crazy guy. He's over by the river of Jordan, and he is preparing the way for the Messiah to come, and he's baptizing people. He's taking people like Tommy, and he's saying, hey, you, you repent of your sins? And he like, yeah, I do it. and Dunk them down and hold them down, you know, and bringing them back up. He's, and all of a sudden, what does he say? He looks around, and he says, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Jesus comes on the scene, but, but... Jesus does not say he's Messiah. John doesn't say he's the Messiah. So it can't fit in in the prophecy of Daniel because it says Messiah will come on the scene. John the Baptist said he was the lamb. Sacrifice. He would be the sacrificial lamb. He didn't say it. When Jesus started his public ministry, what was one of the first things he did? Y'all all know it. You try to use it and to, so you can go out and drink. And it's wrong. It's sinful. That's sinful. That's sinful. That's absolutely sinful to use Scripture to go out and do what you want. Well, Jesus turned the water into wine. Yeah, to keep the party rolling, you heretic. You know, that's not what God said. Turn the water into wine to show you a beautiful illustration of what salvation is. He can take a nothing and turn it into something beautiful. Amen. Every miracle he ever did pointed to salvation. It didn't point to doing something in order to please the flesh. It pointed to how he was powerful. When the blind got their sight, it talks about how you were blind in your sins. When the dead were raised, it's talking about how you were dead in your sins, amen. Whenever people were withered and crippled over and standing up straight, it's talking about how you were messed up and without hope, without God in the world. But because of him, you're saved, amen. That's what miracles talk about. But then, what did he, his mom came to him and said, son, they have, they, they have no wine. And what did Jesus say? Listen, I love these words. Jesus looked at his mother and says, what is that to me? Wait, 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 wait. He said, woman, what is that to me? You know, I dare you. I mean, I dare you. Well, man, if I'd have said that to my mom, she'd have beat me. (laughs) Woman, what is that to me? You know what Jesus was saying? Why are you asking me about that? What did he say at the end? He said, my time has not yet come. Other scriptures, 10 lepers healed. One comes back. He told all ten to do what? Show yourself to the priest. Why, Brother Jimmy? Because he didn't want the attention brought on him. He said, you continue to go and you show yourself to the priest to do it the law way. Why? He said this, because my hour is not yet come. It wasn't time for him to be revealed as the Messiah yet. But then all of a sudden, this next event happened. And in 32 AD, the Bible says Jesus comes in on the colt of a donkey... That they have put their garments upon, they have taken palm leaves and lined the places where he would walk or where he would ride. They that did not have palms took their garments, Brother Craig, and laid them out before him. And they were all crying out as he was a king. They presented Jesus as king. Not only that, Sister Rhonda, you know what they were doing? They were saying this word, Hosanna. Hosanna, and glory to God. Hosanna, you know what that word means? It talks about that God saves. Salvation is of Jehovah. Hosanna, God, Jehovah saves. And what they were pronouncing is that they were saying, He is the Messiah. He's the Messiah. And they were shouting it out. And Jesus is riding in and listening to it all. Then all of a sudden, the Pharisees come over to Jesus. And they say, rebuke them. Tell them to stop that. Tell them to stop saying that. You know what Jesus said? I tell you, if they should hold their peace, the rocks would cry out. And what he was saying is, the Messiah is here. 32, when he came into Jerusalem that triumphal day, Brother Bo, he presented himself as Messiah. You know what he did as Messiah? He stood over there in the book of Luke. And the Bible says he stood on the Mount of Olives and he looked over all of Jerusalem. And Brother Reggie, he began to cry and he began to weep. And Jesus wept, as I know of, three times in the Scriptures at the death of Lazarus because of the unbelief of the people over Jerusalem and in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he is weeping, Brother Bo, and he is saying these words right here, O Jerusalem, old Jerusalem, if you would have known at least in this thy day the things that belong to thy peace, but they are hid from thine eyes. How many times I would have gathered you up like a mother hen would gather her chicks, but you would not let me. You would not let me. He said this day, if you knew what was going on this day right now, and you say, what do you mean, Brother Steve? That's the second part of the book of Daniel. He says, No and understand, from the going forth of the commandment to rebuild Jerusalem, the walls and the streets, all the way until Messiah steps on the scene as Messiah, he said, it's going to be seven weeks and then 62 weeks. Look at it like this. He puts it like this. We're going to break it down and we're going to go home about another hour. Just hang in there. The first portion of it was seven uh, weeks or 49 years. That started when Jerusalem was being rebuilt all the way to the book of Malachi when God closed the book and said, done. The second portion of this, he said, it's going to be 62 more weeks which equals 434 years and that's going to be from Malachi all the way in to the triumphal entry. God said, it's going to start here, and it's going to end here. And when we add these numbers together, church, we've covered 69 of those 70 weeks in the prophecy. 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and thy holy city. 7 plus 62 is only 69. Then, if you look at it this way, in the years, in our years... 490 years are determined, but we've really only covered 483 of them. 49 years and 434 years. So there's only 483. So here's my question to you. When somebody comes to you and says, where do you get this crazy idea that there's going to be this thing called the Great Tribulation and it's going to last for seven years? Where do you get this story? Where do you come up with this? Well, I want to show you, church, the first portion of it was done right here. There's your first 49 at that decree and all the way to the closing of the book. The second portion, 434 years, was done right here at the bur- uh, or all the way from the book of Malachi all the way to 32 AD. It's actually written down in this way, church, that it goes all the way from March 14th, 445 BC all the way up to April the 6th, 32 AD. It is written down, it is recorded, and it happened. But what about that other week that's left? Or seven years? That's the great tribulation. God says the clock will start when the building of the wall, all the way, and it's going to tick, 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 all the way till when? All the way until Messiah, Jesus, steps on the scene. And then all of a sudden, something else was prophesied. Look at this. In this next part, it says Messiah would be cut off. Do you know what this word being cut off means? Sarah Kennedy hates it. Because every time I talk about this, it makes her quiver. It's actually the translation where it is the word for a lamb whose throat has been slashed and cut open. That their throat has been cut. Messiah would be cut off. The Bible says that it was going to happen. And I know some of you go, Brother Steve, how do you see this? How do you understand these things? Listen, in 32 AD, only a week later, we know, less than a week later, Jesus was cut off. He was crucified. The Bible says that he was crucified. And you say, what are you trying to get at? First, look, this right here, that God has a perfect plan. His plan is perfect. And not only is his plan perfect, church, but his timing is perfect. But his grace is also perfect. And you say, what do you mean His grace is perfect? Look, the Scripture says that He would be cut off. But the next part of that Scripture says, but not for Himself. He was not cut off for Himself. No, He was crucified and cut off for you. For you. That's the wonderful, perfect grace in God's plan. Listen, in that last portion of the Scripture, it says, but not for Himself. And we read the other scriptures. Listen, if you do got your Bible with me, just read verse 26. I, maybe I can go back through it like this right here. And uh, I can. Look at here. Maybe. No, I can't. Go to Daniel nine twenty-six, Britt, or Brandon, 26 and 27. It says, and after those threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince of that uh, shall come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood. And on the end of the war of desolations are determined and look at this. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. If you look back with me at verse number 26, notice that the word there says in verse 26 that it's a lowercase prince, lowercase p. You know why? Because that's talking about who we've been describing in Revelation on Sunday, the Antichrist is going to come in. But look at what the scripture says in verse number 28, we're, or 27. We're going to close. He says he'll confirm the covenant with them for one week. Satan's got seven years. Church. In Revelation, Satan's got seven years. Bo, he's got seven years. He don't have seven and a half. He don't have seven and three quarters. Matt, he has seven years. And in seven years, those seals, those things, the red horse, the white horse, the black horse, the pale horse, that's coming in, all of this stuff, all of it is going to come in so fast and so overwhelming that what did it say? It said that first week, talking about the first portion or half of that week, which would be what? If you got seven years, half that into you, what is that? Three and a half. The first three and a half years, you know what he's going to be doing? Oh, here's money. Here's peace. Here's prosperity. And here's all these things. We talked about it Sunday. The white horse He's going to be coming in, offering all of that. But in the last three and a half years, here comes the red horse, the black horse, the pale horse. He's going to be causing war and diversity. And what does it say? Look at these words. He said, desolation, consummation poured out on this. It's going to be, listen to me, hell on earth. Satan is going to try everything to bring people down. Now, I want you to think with me for a second. And for those of you, if you would, go back to one more Scripture there or one more thing, Brother Britt. Go back to where it's got those two arrows that are in there that has a timeline, and we'll close. I want you to think about something. And I know that you're looking at it the same way. It's got this big, huge timeline in the two... Nope, it's like number 28, something like that. Um, Yeah, slide 28. And it has this big, huge timeline and stuff. Now, I know here's what you're thinking, because this is what I do. I don't trust you. I'm just going to say it. When Matt preaches, I don't trust him. I like to read the Bible with him. I love Matt, but he's, he's probably reading the Bible also whatever I'm saying. You're supposed to. Right? That's no offense. It just means that the Word of God takes more priority than you do. And I want you to look at it real quick, because I don't want you to go home tonight and you go, I'm going to work these numbers. <laughs> yeah, and I know most of you are going, I ain't going to work none of it. Because this is what you're going to do. You're going to say, oh, I trust you, Brother Steve, and I'm going to go to heaven, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pan-tribulation person. I believe it's all going to pan out in the end, you know, and that's just such a cheesy cop-out way of thinking of things. And you're going to go on, you're going to work these numbers, you're going to look at 445 B.C., and you're going to add 32 to it, and you're going to come up with a number that is not 490, or 483 years. You're going to come up with a number that's 476 years. And you're going to go, Well, he he lied. Right? I mean, that's what y'all do when you go home, don't you? He lied. The numbers don't work out. See, the problem is, is you're thinking in your calendar. You got to remember, and I'm going to explain it to you, and if you want to write it down, you can write it down, but I'm going to explain it to you. The only way that we can understand that this actually happened to the day, brother Joe, exactly to the day, is by doing what? We got to have a common denominator. What's the common denominator that brings this together? It's not our calendar because they go by lunar and we go by solar. It's not that. It's not their years because they go by BCE or common era or before common era and we go by before Christ and the year of our Lord. So it can't be that. So what's it got to be? Days have got to be the same. They have a the sun, they have a the moon, they have a the sun, and a moon. So days have got to be the same. So what we have to do is we take the number 483 years that has already happened. We can't take the seven part of that yet. You got to stick out in your pocket because that's happening in the future. You take 483 years and you multiply that by this, 360. And what you come up with is this number, 173,880 days. Okay, and I know that's mind-boggling. That's math. And you're going to go, well, how'd you get that? That's just the way it is. That's just the way it is. And 360 is how many days they go by. So there's 173,880 days. Now to get that in our years, what do we got to do? We got to divide that by what? 365.2422, right? And you're going to come up with this number. four hundred and seventy six point zero two whatever blah all this number and you're gonna go well that's 476 years but what's that remaining part of that year you'll subtract that number 476 and you multiply it times a 365 blah and you'll understand that the number we come to their 483 years our 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 476 years and 25 days okay so you go, why? That's just the way it is. That's math. That's just simply looking at their calendar and our calendar. Now, here is an awesome kowinky dink. From March the 14th, 445 B.C., when Artaxerxes wrote in that weird cuneiform way that Cyrus did and said, hey, you can go rebuild the wall and the street. And it's recorded March 14th, 445 B.C. because it was the first of the month of Nisan, and it's in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse number 1. That's where we got it from. That's when it started. You can count all the way 173,880 days later. Tick, 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 tick. Sun up, moon up. Sun up, moon up. All that stuff. And you'll get all the way to April the 6th, 32 AD, when Jesus rode in and declared, If you would have known in this thy day you'll understand that God's Word is accurate, God's Word is correct. You know why? Because if you take 445 and you add that to 32, what's the number you get? Here's where people get their mind blown. What's the number you get? 477 years. Now, brother Steve, you're wrong. You're still wrong. Brother Steve, it's 476 years and 25 days. Get it right. Well, you don't count the zero year. You don't count when that zero year is, so what you got to do is 445 plus that 31. You'll understand that's 476, and you'll have the days. In order to get from March 14th all the way to April 6th, you count them out, you'll have the days. Church, God is all, all correct. Don't look at, I'm not some kind of, you know, physicist. I am a country bumpkin from Alabama that has been in the Word of God for almost 30 years. And all of a sudden, this stuff starts showing. And you go, church, you need to wake up. And you say, Brother Steve, what's so important about that? Because if God was so spot on with that right there, He's fixing to come. I'm telling you, I, I spent yesterday weeping and crying like Paul Revere and wanted to ring the bell and tell people, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. My heart was beating because of all of these signs and things that are going on. Listen, no man knows the hour or the day when he's coming to get his church, amen. But it does tell us that when all this stuff we see happening, you need to get ready. There's a song that says, people get ready, Jesus is coming, soon we'll be going home. And listen, I'm glad to soon be going home, but... Some of them are not going home. So what we should do in taking this is not go, well, that's just, you know, too over my head. Listen, it's been 10 years. You should get it. And you should be so passionate to go, you know what? The main point of it all is in that last part. Cut off. Not for himself. That's the main point. The numbers and stuff, how awesome that God give us a divine book. You know, and you, I'm closing. I promise I'm stopping. I won't get you again till Sunday, so. This is what really eats you up. People want to argue over which one. People want to argue over which version, which translation, which this and which that. And I just encourage you, you need to get one that is a word-for-word translation of the Bible. Don't get some thought-for-thought Bible. Don't get some version of the Bible that may be like, you know. don't take offense to this, if you don't know this, NIV is thought for thought. That means somebody sat down and wrote out what they thought, thought, thought. Each thought translated. You need a word for word translation because you know why? You may misinterpret in that 20th year of the reign of King Artaxerxes of the Persians and you may miss those dates and you may have some kind of mess up errors and you go, "This something's wrong. Something's wrong. You need an accurate translation of the Bible. And you need to read that thing. Man, you need to read that thing. It's good. And listen, and I, I know you going, man, it's been good tonight, Brother Steve. It, how good would it be if you, if you were in it, right? And you got it, and you go out there and share it with others. Let, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, it's all for me to...